<laughs> That's cool. Um, you know, I was debating about that this morning. It is, we have the kids in church this morning, and um, it, it really kind of, really kind of defines the service this morning, and, and so it's kind of cute, and I know it's different, but you know, you guys that worry about us going to a mega church, we will never be going to a mega church showing videos like that. So we're okay. Maybe if we did ACDC this morning, we might be going to a mega church. But the point is, is that I like that song because we all know it, whether you're a grandparent or a child or you're middle aged, because it's cute and, and it's kind of part of our pop culture, is that you love me, I love you, we're one big happy family. And it probably doesn't go like that because I'm not a singer, but it just kind of encompasses, encompasses the um, sermon this morning about love. And what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be just kind of touching on the aspect of what love is and what hate is. And really it's getting ready to take us into a, a few more chapter, uh, two more chapters and then a few more verses to kind of really unpack what love is and what love isn't. And I really feel like it's important for us to get this aspect of love. And so that's why I wanted to start with this video and I shared it with my kids last night and they didn't laugh or anything. I said, oh man, maybe I shouldn't do this, but I'm like, why not? Let's get some joy, let's get some, some, some just thinking about what love is. And this morning, I have to admit to you that, that I struggled all week with sickness, and it was one of those things where it was a sickness not unto death, so I'm still here. And um, it was one of those where you couldn't really hear very well. And so my kids would talk to me and it would just become, get on my nerves. Because it's like, I can't hear you and you're talking. And so if I yell this morning, I'm sorry, I just can't hear myself. And I like to hear myself occasionally. Um, And we talked last week a little bit about being children of God. And that aspect and really the the supernatural power that comes with being a child of God is so powerful. And really this Sunday and, and really it would take years for us to unpack. Well, what does this mean when John says we are children of God? And it really unpacks so much is that we have every spiritual gift at our disposal to be using To advance the kingdom of God. And if you remember last week, I talked about the world cannot call God Father. That is something that only the church is privy to, is saying, God Father, God, You are our Father. Because we see in Scripture that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And we're talking about that in the aspect of a family unit. And oftentimes, we act as if relationships don't need to be cultivated. And I used last week the example of me and Alyssa, I think maybe even the week before, as we got away to be with one another to cultivate our relationship, we're so often life being so busy, stills that from us. And the family unit really is a great example, and I think we see it throughout the Bible. When we see strong marriages, we see strong families. 
And when we see strong families, we see our communities walking and functioning in the way they should, but so often it has been torn down. And I shared that so often Satan wants to isolate husband and wife from one another. And then he wants to isolate God's creation from the Father. And then ultimately it breaks down the fellowship within even the body of Christ. So this morning what we're going to try and attempt to do is to make it short and sweet is that you can kind of sum up the message like this. Are you a giver of life or are you a taker of life? And we're going to look at what John says in chapter 3 verses 11 through 18. And if you don't mind, I'm going to pray this morning. And just to get started. And so Father, we commit this time to You. We are not here just to hear a good sermon, to sing great songs, to take communion. All those things, although those things in themselves are so important to our Christian faith. Lord, we want to know You. We are not satisfied with where we're at. We need Your mercy. We need Your grace. We need the power of Your Spirit to be moving in our lives so that we would know You. So I ask You for these next few minutes for Your grace. Not only for Your grace for me as the speaker, but for Your grace for those that are hearing Your Word. Because, Lord, it matters. And we need You this morning. And we cry out to You, Jesus. And ask You to come in power. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, let's look right into the Scripture. We're going to go verses 11 through 13, break it down, and then I'm going to kind of expound on some of the, the Word, and we're going to talk about it this morning, hopefully opening our eyes to what truth is. And here's the deal. We want to be Jesus-centered, people-focused. Last week we were really talking about being Jesus-centered. This week we were going to really talk about being people-focused. And what it means to love one another. And to walk in love. And, and I think this would take, it takes a lifetime to walk out. And how many of you guys, if you could show me a hands this morning, would say that I've been hurt by somebody in the church? Yeah, I mean, if we're all honest, we all can say somebody has offended me. So much so that it may have caused me to even doubt God and, and to walk away from the church as some have. And, and last week we talked about it, that perfect love causes no one to stumble, but we, we ourselves have caused others to stumble. And as we worship and as we call out to God and as we think that this Gospel so often is all about us, all about me, and it's not about others. But really, this gospel that we are looking at is all about others. We are part of this story, and I want you to know that God has a design, a plan for you, and a purpose for you. He wants to change the world through you. 
But so often we look at love through the lens of, of others loving us. Instead of through the lens of us loving others. How often have you walked into a, a building or walked into a situation and you just kind of, you become self-centered. You become self-absorbed. It becomes all about you. And I think John is going to challenge us this morning that that's not what it's about. And so let's look at the Scripture. In verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And we live in a time where we think the world needs to love us. And the world needs to embrace us. And it's kind of, it's unfortunate, it's a mistake for us because the Bible says the world will not like you. And why will the world not like us? It's because they really don't understand us. And they're trying to figure us out. And they just will never be able to figure us out because they don't know the Father. And you see, Cain is a type of the world. Cain is representing the world. That's why all of a sudden you see in, the, in this book of 1 John, all of a sudden Cain appears and you're like, what is the importance of Cain and Abel in this Scripture? So let's go to Genesis Chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I think with God's grace, He's going to show us something. And I hope that it just causes us to love one another just a little bit better today in going forward. And it says this, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of the time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel. And for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And I want you to know in here, just in case you go somewhere you shouldn't, it's not about the offering. That is not what the scripture is about. It's not that, um, that Cain was the tiller of ground that any the vegetables were less important than meat. And I know some of you don't like vegetables, but they're good for you. And God likes vegetables. And He likes meat. But it's not about the offering in itself. Because I believe they were both bringing the best. But there's something about why Cain's offering was not acceptable to the Lord. 
And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fell? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told this to Abel, his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. I want you to to look at this Scripture and kind of be in awe for just a moment. There was no reason for Cain to murder Abel. He has no one to blame. But it was in his heart. You see, do you remember the Scripture that Jesus says, you, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And you see, I think that's what's happening in, the, in this scene that we see and, and great murder has taken place, and which has never taken place until now. And it was Cain's heart. And it says in Hebrews 11, verse 4, you don't go there, I'll just say it. Unless they put it on the screen and then we'll go there. And there it is. Speaking, it comes into existence, right? It says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. It's about the heart. And it's about faith. And then it says in Hebrews, same chapter, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God and He rewards those who seek Him. And you see as John, we can go back to 1 John, and he's using the example of Cain. And I believe Cain became very jealous and envious of the offering that Abel gave. So much so that he murdered. Cain was a taker of life and not a giver. And I want you to know here that we're working and we're going on a path and there's certain core values that we're, we're, we're hoping to embrace and really all of us get on board. It's be a servant, be a follower, and be authentic. And I want you to know as you serve here at Cornerstone that you don't have to be jealous of one another. There is no room for jealousy here in this room. All of us are coming in faith, offering our best to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords. We are giving it all to Him and offering what we have. And John is challenging us And he says, don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the Antichrist, they're one who will lead the rebellion, is coming, but the spirit of the Antichrist are already here. 
And so when John says, don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you, he's saying, the, the world is going to oppose Christ. Don't be surprised. You see, the world, the word here means to have yourself or someone or something other than Christ at the center of your life. Remember, we are Jesus centered and people focused. But if you guys are anything like me, so often I put things right where Christ should be. And see, I'm here to encourage you. This isn't a hard message. This isn't, isn't hard at all. It's actually, we see in Scripture, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. But so often, is Jesus really the sinner? And if you notice, God went to Cain. God had mercy on that moment for Cain to say, hey, come on, you can do this, but there's something in your heart that's not right. And I think for some of us, God is wanting to speak to you this morning. And He's wanting to say, come on. My child, come on, you can love better. You can do more. There's so much more in this life than what you've been experiencing. He wants to use you for His glory. Let's go on to verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And maybe this is how the world has crept into the church. Is that are we truly loving one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church? Are we truly following the command of Christ that we are to love one another as we love ourselves? And I have to admit to you, I love myself. And some of you might say this morning, well, you know, I'm pretty down on myself. I see all my mistakes. I am actually an utter failure. I don't match up and I don't line up to Christ. I actually don't hit the mark. I'm just an utter failure. Even in those statements, you are loving yourself. You may not understand that, but it is. It's self-pity. And it's all about you. But I want you to know that it doesn't have to be. Is that Christ has created you with a purpose and His blood covers your sins. And although you do fall short of the glory, He comes in and He covers your mistakes and He makes you perfect. So much perfect that He calls you a child. As a family unit, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We have a debt that was paid for each and every one of us. My children have no choice of what family they were born into. You have no choice of what family you were born into. Now, you could say, well, I can go to a different church. Well, that is true. But we want you here. We need you here. And although we may not always like each other, we are commanded to love one another. And Jesus says this in verse 5 of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've already visited this, and I will not go into long, but I think it says it pretty clear. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. God commands us to love one another. And so we can ask this question. How do we know that we hate someone? And I'll tell you how we know we can hate someone. When we see someone or hear their name and we feel bitterness, wrath, anger, and we want to slander them. You know that you're not loving somebody when you have nothing good to say about them. That is not love. And you know, as I was talking to my wife and others, I know there are people that don't like me. I know this to be true. Every one of us have people that just don't like us. But you know how I know that I've passed from death to life? is that I can pray for them, that I can bless them, and that I can truly in my heart say, God, I want your best for their lives. And there is no malice in my heart. Sometimes it's easier to do that than other times, but we are commanded to do that. We are commanded to forgive as we have been forgiven. And it says it's so much important that if you don't forgive others, your Father in Heaven will not forgive you. That's tough, Lord. But I didn't say it. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. So let's go on a little bit. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need 
and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And I'll answer that question for you, it doesn't. Just in case you were wondering. But then John goes on to say, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. I remember seeing verse 18 about, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. Me and Alyssa. Because we were involved in a church that knew how to love well. And some of their, their teaching was, was a little bit shallow, but I'm proud to say to them today that they have come a long way. And you know, as a new believer, you know everything. And you're like, can't they just get it right? Well, they're finally getting it right. Or I'm maturing. One of the two. I, I don't know. But they knew how to love. And as I look back on that experience, man, they loved well. They not only said it all the time, but they actually showed it. I would not be where I am today if they had not loved on a 295-pound, three-earring tattooed dude with no hair. You see, we don't know what difference our love is going to make. In a person's life. And see when I was reading this yesterday. I was like Lord isn't there a scripture in there. That I'm supposed to talk about. And you see so often we read scriptures. And we just gloss right over it. I mean I read it. And I was praying it. But it didn't register. And then I went back. Oh there it is. Verse 16. We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And I want to share this out of the devotion that I have. And it is a pink cover. It's for me and my girls. As we're going through love. And I just want you to rest, listen really carefully. Selfishness puts... On others, a list of requirements that must meet, they must meet before you will love them. This list is born out of self-protection, self-interest, and self-promotion. It is created even if subconsciously to protect your life from hurt and pain. But this obsession with your wounds, your own wounds, ends up diminishing Christ's wounds. It puts your pain over the pain of Jesus, that Jesus felt on the cross and makes life more about you than Him. When this happens, what we all tend to do is to make up our own law, our own Bible, that lists everything that others must do in order for us to love them. This unwritten law then becomes the measuring stick for our lives. And when others break our law, our wrath comes out and our love is withheld. You might not have been aware that you have a law of your own, that when it is broken is punishable by vengeance, bitterness, resentment, or rejection. But if you think about it, you might just start to see that you have had one for a very long time. Let me sum that up for you. 
This is so often we make this thing called love about us. We make it about people that will do what we want them to do and we will love them. But one of the greatest challenges in my life is loving the unlovables. And you guys all know these people. You all have them in your lives. I think they're gifts from God. But Jesus says that we must lay down our lives for the brethren. And you see, it's easy to love people that agree with me. It's easy to love people that look like me, do life like me. But it's a lot harder to love people that bring me nothing. It's a lot harder to love people that actually take life than to give life. But God commands us to love. God commands us to look out for the best interest of others. And so on that note, I want to challenge you this morning is to love one another well. And I have to admit to you, I would rather see the world reached than us loving on one another. (laughs) It's bad. I know for church numbers that's awful. But you know what Jesus said? The world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So although I want the lost world found, I need them found. There's a desperation that those that don't need know Jesus to know them. That is my desperate heart. But then there's a desperate heart that me and you would love one another. This isn't talking about loving the world. This is talking about loving the brethren. And sistren, you are the brethren. And we must love one another. How can we do this? And we'll sum up the sermon in this. How can we apply what we've learned? Are you like Cain in the world? Are you a taker of life? Do you live for others to bless you? Or are you like Jesus, our perfect example? Are you a giver of life? Do you live with others in mind? Are you a blessing to those around you? You see, John says this, Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And he says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And I want to challenge you this morning. How can you meet the needs of your brothers and sisters in this body? Now, I know we're in Wisconsin. I know we're proud people. 
And I know that we work hard for what we have. Would you all agree? This area is a worker's area. It's hard for us to be honest with one another and tell our needs. But see, we are an authentic church. Is we let each other know what's going on in our lives. Not just pockets here and there. But we allow the brothers and sisters to know our needs. And I want to challenge us this morning to be authentic with one another. If you're struggling, let somebody know. Financially, if you're struggling, let somebody know. Because your needs cannot be met if you're not being honest. And I know it's hard for us, but John says it. So whatever you're going through, we want to meet those needs. The worship team would come this morning. And you can just stay seated for right now. You know, instead of muddying the waters, which us preachers tend to always do, just remember, are you a giver of life? Or are you a taker of life? This morning, the reason why we're doing communion again at the end of service is, I think it's so appropriate because if God has challenged us and if He has shown us something, it gives us an opportunity to let our hearts be bare before Him. And I want you to know, that if you're struggling with sin this morning, that God says that if you confess it, that He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so this morning as we take communion and we'll do it like we did last month, is that we'll all come as you're ready to take communion this morning. You come and you take it. And I want to give you an example, just to give you the example, what I will do with my family this morning. We will worship together. We will come as a family and I will minister the elements to my family. I will explain to them what it is. That the bread is the body that was broken. And the cup is the blood that was spilled, the new covenant. But however you choose to do it, it's up to you this morning. But I want you to know, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And then He had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So this morning, Robin and Pastor Kathy will come. If you can't come forward, we will bring communion to you. So please don't worry. So if you guys would come. And I just want you to know that as we do worship together, 
the communion is one of the most holy things that we can do. We don't do it lightly, but I want you to know as mature believers, as the pastor, I expect you to be able to search your heart and to make this moment a holy moment and to remember that His body was broken for you and His blood was spilled. So as we worship this morning, I just invite you to come.